All right, as Pastor Bruce mentioned, he's continuing his series entitled Follow Me this morning. And uh, this message is entitled What We Often Forget in the Storms. Again, we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us! We are perishing! But he said to them, Why are you fearful, though you have little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray. God, this morning we just pray that through your word, through your spirit, Lord, you would just reveal to us who you are. And God, that through your power, God, you can turn our fears into a stronger faith in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we mentioned, we're continuing in this series through the book of Matthew, specifically chapters 8, 9, and 10. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus and his disciples get into a boat, and immediately they enter into this boat, a storm comes. A storm encounters them. They find themselves in a terrible storm, and storms can be quite scary, especially if you're in a boat. How many have seen the movie The Perfect Storm? Raise your hand. Most of you have. Most of you are familiar with it. It's based on a true story. And uh, in fact, on October 26, 1991, the Andrea Gale, a 72-foot fishing boat, was in the North Atlantic when six men, a six-man crew, had been fishing, and the ship was attempting to return to its port off the coast of Massachusetts, when a rare combination of weather systems kind of came together, if you will, uh, in the North Atlantic to form what was later called the perfect storm. The result was an explosive storm with recorded winds in excess of 155 miles an hour, and waves cresting at the height of a 10-story building. The Andrea Gale really never stood a chance against that monster storm. Perhaps you've been in a boat when a storm has come. How many have ever been on a, on a boat in a lake in the middle of a storm come, suddenly come upon you? Anybody? All right, I have. Actually, my family and I, we were, uh, a few years ago, we were on vacation down on Table Rock Lake, and uh, we were in a boat uh, probably about 10 miles out from where we, uh, from the dock or the marina where we had rented the boat. And it was a beautiful morning when we took off. I mean, not a cloud in the sky. It was drop-dead gorgeous weather. And we thought, oh, man, we're fine. We're going to take off because Table Rock Lake is a huge lake. And so we took off, and, and we were doing some boating. Uh, but by mid-afternoon, let me tell you, the storm clouds rolled in, and my wife starts to freak out. She's like, Bruce, I think we ought to get back. I'm like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. She says, no, Bruce, I think we need to start heading back. And I'm just like, okay, whatever, we start heading back. And we did not start soon enough, because those storm clouds rolled in, and before you know it, it was windy, it was raining cats and dogs, and we, literally... All of a sudden, what was a lake of calm became a lake of whitewater caps that you could see. And I have to admit, as I'm 
behind the boat, and there's this windshield, and I'm kind of ducking behind because the rain is pelting me. And I look over, and my wife and my boys are kind of hunkered down under the hull like this. And I'm like, you know, maybe I ought to be a little fearful about now. And, uh, and we are just trying to race back and get back as fast as we can to the marina. And it was kind of just this climactic, perfect storm event that we got caught up in. And it was scary a little bit. Tyler, do you remember that? Jack, you remember that? Yeah, it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. The perfect storm. Now, perhaps some of you are here this morning, right now, and you find yourself somewhat caught up in a perfect storm of stuff sorts. Not so much a, a storm on a lake, but the perfect storm in life, just the storms of life. And here's what we often forget when we encounter these storms. Notice in your notes coming up on the screen, is that Jesus has authority over the storms in our lives. We've been looking at the authority of Jesus Christ for the last couple of weeks as we make our way through Matthew 8, 9, and 10. Two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus has authority over disease when he healed a leper. And then he healed the servant of a centurion. And then the third healing miracle we saw is he actually heals Peter's mother-in-law. And what we learn is that there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no type of suffering that has more power than Jesus. He has authority over it all. He has the power to overcome all our sickness and suffering because as we learned in that lesson, he paid the price to overcome all our sin with his death on the cross. Last Sunday, we then learned that Jesus has authority to demand our full devotion to him and his mission when two people want to follow Jesus, but they want to do so on their own terms. And so Jesus comes to these two disciples, actually they came to him, and he challenges them, hey, count the cost of what it takes to follow me. And we learn from the hasty scholar that following Jesus demands a willingness to forsake earthly securities in order to follow Jesus with kingdom loyalty. The second man, we, we learn from him, this reluctant follower, that following Jesus then demands a willingness to, to realign our earthly priorities in order to follow Jesus with a kingdom urgency. This morning, what we're going to see as Matthew begins to, uh, or actually as he continues to shape his theme of what he wants us to see in his book, is we're going to see another aspect of Jesus' kingdom authority. And that is, he has authority over storms. You could say it this way, he has authority over nature, over disasters and natural events. And so like the disciples who got into the boat, this is something we often forget in the midst of the storms of life. And yet Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to remember. He wants us to realize that he has authority to rule over the storms of life. In other words, Jesus wants us to say with faith what is written in Psalm chapter 89, verses 8 and 9, where the psalmist writes, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Jesus wants us to know, even from our own personal experience with the Lord, what it says in Psalm 107. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. But learning these truths about Jesus often means getting into a boat with Jesus, just as the disciples did. If you remember from last week, Matthew 8, verse 18, tells us that Jesus was looking to get away from the crowds that were following him, that were curious about him, that were following him because of his miracles, they were interested in him, and he's looking for some relief from them. And so he gave a command to get into the boat and cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The boat Jesus got into was most likely a fishing boat, which was very common in those days. In fact, in 1986, the body of a fishing boat was recovered from the mud on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. The boat was just over 26.5 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and 5 feet high. It is estimated that the front and the back of the boat was covered with a small deck, providing room in which to sit or lie down. The boat apparently was equipped with four oars, two on each side. Most historians say that a boat like this could have easily held 15 men plus a, a load of fish. We don't know for certain, but this is probably the type of boat that Jesus got into in order to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I think it's also important to note here in this story as well that the disciples who got into the boat with Jesus are his closest followers. They're what we have been learning uh, we would identify as committed followers of Jesus Christ. Those who he had chosen to follow him and those who had responded to follow him. And don't forget who many of these disciples were. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, we're told that at least about four of those disciples, and they were fishermen who had years of experience of fishing on this very lake. Guys like Peter and Andrew, James and John, who in Matthew 4, they left their very fishing boats that had been on this lake. They left those boats in order to follow Jesus, and now they find themselves once again in a fishing boat, perhaps like what they themselves left in, on the same lake in which they had fished for so many years. These disciples have now witnessed the power of Jesus over disease. But still, they did not grasp his authority and his power over all things. And so what they are about to witness now will make them kind of stand back and just marvel at Jesus in a fresh new way as they cross the Sea of Galilee. What this story teaches us, what I hope you learn in this story, is that faith in Jesus is not just for our salvation. Our faith in Jesus is also for storms in life. If we will not forget what the disciples forgot. So let's look at it. Let's look at this story and learn what we so often forget, but we need to remember in the storms of life. Number one is the principle. The principle, and it's, the principle is this, follow Jesus and storms will come. Follow Jesus and storms will come. Now don't miss this principle. For this entire story is really a metaphor for discipleship. Follow Jesus and what will come? 
Oh, that was pathetic. Follow Jesus, and what will come? Storms. Look how the story begins in Matthew 8, 23. It says, now when he, that is Jesus, got into his boat, or got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And what does it say after that? And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. Now, it's at this point in life that some Christians make the mistake of thinking that just because they're following Jesus, they've made a commitment to him. I want to follow you, Lord. I give my life to you. I submit my life to you. And just because they are doing that, they will be immune to troubles and trials in life. But this story shows us that's simply not true. Even though Jesus was in the same boat as his disciples, the storm still came. And when we follow Jesus, we can expect to encounter storms in the journey. Along the way, it's part of the process. All kinds of storms in life can suddenly arise without warning. And just because you find yourself in a storm doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care for you. And it certainly doesn't mean Jesus doesn't have power to intervene in your life. That he somehow lost his power and his authority. And that's why the storms are now in your life. It doesn't mean any of that. Listen, Jesus led his disciples into this storm for a reason. So don't be surprised. As some of you right now know by experience, that when you follow Jesus, storms will come. The Sea of Galilee is actually a beautiful saltwater, or I should say freshwater lake. I've never been there. I've never seen it. Um, it's on my bucket list to do one day. I would love to go and take a tour of Israel and actually see the Sea of Galilee, even the Dead Sea. But they say that this lake is about 14 miles long, 8 miles wide. In fact, the lake is small enough that you may wonder how it could actually generate waves large enough to sink a boat when much larger lakes can't. For example, do you realize Lake Erie is more than... 50 times larger than the Sea of Galilee, and its waves only crest five or six feet at most. But sudden storms with violent waves were not uncommon given the location of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is almost 700 feet below sea level and is surrounded by hills and mountains which can kind of act like a giant funnel. And so when cool air rushes down from Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level, and it hits the warm air of the lake, the results are devastating. The violent wind can easily whip the sea into a major storm, and any boat that is caught in it is suddenly in danger. In March of 1992, there was a great storm that hit this very sea the Sea of Galilee, that produced waves upwards of 10 feet. Maybe this storm in Matthew 8 was somewhat like that storm. In the evening, Jesus and his disciples embarked what should have been just a two-hour journey across the Sea of Galilee from one side to the other when Matthew describes it as a great storm. He uses the word, the great tempest suddenly arose on the sea. And this word, 
In some of your translations, it may say storm or tempest. And the Greek word that's used there is used for describing a, a seismic activity, such as an earthquake. So this was a fierce, earth-shaking that created the kind of towering swells and huge waves that just engulfed boats like this. Waves that Mark chapter 4 in verse 37 notes were literally, it says, beating or crashing into the boat with all its fury so that the boat was now already filling with seawater. Actually, it's not seawater because it's fresh water. In other words, the idea here that we need to capture in our minds is that this is no ordinary storm that Jesus and his disciples are facing. This was, in a sense, all hell breaking loose on the Sea of Galilee, and these seasoned fishermen started to panic. In fact, the disciples are panicking for two obvious reasons. Notice this in your notes here. Because their boat was sinking, and then Jesus was sleeping. Mark tells us that the boat was already filling with water, so it was in real danger of sinking, and the disciples thought, we're going to die. Our lives are in jeopardy here. But as unnerving as the storm was on the outside of the boat, something even more troubling was occurring inside the boat. Jesus was sleeping. In fact, we're told in the parallel story in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says that Jesus was actually asleep on a pillow, a cushion. And I read that, my first question, how many of your first questions is the same? How is that possible? How in the world could Jesus be asleep in the middle of a storm like this on a tossing boat that's to and fro on the Sea of Galilee? Sometimes my dog wakes me up in the middle of the night. No sounds, just her brain waves uttering. I need to go out. Somehow just wakes me up. Actually, she wakes my wife up as I can sleep through anything. But the disciples couldn't sleep. They're in full panic mode. As they scream, Lord, save us. We are perishing. So how could Jesus possibly sleep through such a storm? Well, Jesus fell asleep in the boat and stayed asleep in the storm for the simple reason he was tired and he was exhausted. After a full day of teaching and healing people, he needed sleep just like any human does. But there's another reason, I believe, that's going on here in Christ's life of why he's able to sleep in the midst of a storm. Jesus trusted his Father enough to protect his life and his mission even while he slept. And so he had no worries to keep him up all night. He went to sleep listen to me, with great peace and with great confidence in his heavenly Father. There's something to be learned from that. So what should we learn from this? Because well, I, I find it interesting. I don't think it's by accident. I don't think it's by coincidence that, that Matthew's revealing this to us. I think it's interesting that here in the middle of the storm, Jesus is sleeping while his very trusted disciples are what? They're panicking. 
And yet, this is so very instructive. I think one can learn that sometimes the best thing we can do in the midst of a storm is to simply walk into our rooms, lie down on our beds, and go to sleep with supreme confidence in our Heavenly Father. As Frederick Bruner writes in his book, at times, sleep with confidence pleases Jesus more than prayer with fear. And so while Jesus was sleeping, the disciples were freaking out, to be quite honest with you. They're freaking out and they're panicking. So what's the first thing we do when we're freaking out in the storms of life? Well, if you're anything like me, when you're caught up in the storm of life, we do what these disciples did. We begin to question God's love for us, His concern for us, His care for us. We think God doesn't care what we're going through. In fact, we think, God, you're just sleeping right through it. You don't even know what's going on in my life. And then we begin to say the same thing these disciples said in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How often do we say the same thing? It's easy to say that, isn't it? It's human nature to say that. But in their fear, at least these disciples ran to the right person. When they woke Jesus up and they cried, Lord, save us! We are perishing! In this short outburst, the disciples sound both hopeful and yet fearful. They call Jesus Lord. They acknowledge Him in that regard and plead with Him to save them from the storm. So they seem to believe that Jesus can deliver them and yet at the same time they are panic stricken. Why? Because the physical storm outside the disciples' boat is matched by the spiritual storm inside the disciples' heart. It's at this point in the story where, where the lessons here come crashing in on our own laps and kind of just wet us all over with these waves. Because the principle in the story is to teach us that when we follow Jesus, storms will come. But why? Well, that brings us to the purpose in the story. Notice this. The purpose is to show us Jesus is God. It's to show us that Jesus is God. Now, what was the purpose of getting into the boat? Why did Jesus and his disciples get into the boat? To get to the other side of Galilee, right? But this is where we are just like the disciples. We are so short-sighted me included. Even when we read this story, all we see is the immediate in the story. Get to the other side of the lake. That's what we tend to see first and foremost. Get to the other side of the lake. Get to the other side of the lake. And we even view our lives in the same way. All we tend to see is the immediate. And that is to get to the end of the day. Get to the end of the day. Get to the end of the day and make it to the weekend. 
And that's how most people live in this world. Get to the end of the day, make it to the weekend. I survived another week in life. And that is so temporary, it's so short-sighted, just like these disciples. Listen, Jesus here in this story is operating with a kingdom perspective that sees way beyond the immediate of just getting to the other side of the lake. Jesus is on a mission. And that mission of his is to get to the cross, not just to the other side of the lake. And in the process of getting to the cross, his mission is to gather fully devoted followers of Christ who will walk with him to the cross and beyond. And so he has greater perspectives here. He has greater purposes here at stake. And that's why when they get into the boat to go to the other side, the storms come. Because he wants to teach us something that can only be learned in this process. Jesus wants these disciples to know. He's trying to show them that he has authority over all things, including storms. Jesus wants them to know who it is they are following. And so he asks them a question that seems a bit odd in verse 26. Look at it. He says, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Why are you fearful? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Isn't it rather obvious why we're fearful here? The seas are shaking, the waves are crashing, and the boat is sinking. Who wouldn't be afraid at this point? But on second thought, why are you fearful? Listen, that's a valid question. After all, the disciples did just call Jesus Lord. So they seem to think Jesus has the power, has the ability to save them, to deliver them. They just begged him to do so. After all, they have also witnessed Jesus' power when he healed the sick with nothing more than his words. And so they ought to be hopeful. But on the other hand, they had never seen Jesus solve a problem like this before. Why are they fearful? Because the situation, for one, is out of their control. And they think they're going to die. In other words, the disciples panic because their fear now has gotten the best of them. Yet Jesus' question causes them to pause right in the midst of the storm, right in the middle of this boat, and to consider this question. Do you really have an adequate reason to be fearful? Do you really have an adequate reason to be fearful? And the answer to that is no. Why? Because Jesus has adequate power to conquer every crisis, and he's right there at their side, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the storm. So this question that he poses to the disciples, which he now poses to us in our storms, why are you fearful? It kind of connects the dots for them, and hopefully it's connecting the dots for us here this morning. Because why, with the creator of the winds and the sea in the boat, are you fearful? 
fearful? Well, Jesus gives us the answer when he tells them, Oh, you of little faith. That little phrase there describes these disciples perfectly, as it so often describes me perfectly. Perhaps it describes you perfectly as well. Because if they had strong faith, there would be no panic. And if they had no faith, they would not cry, Lord, save us. And so Jesus chides them. You could even say he rebukes them, not for their fear so much, but for their excess of fear that is now triumphing over their little faith, which is now leading to their panic. So what do we learn from this question? What should we take away from this question to his disciples? Well, we learn, notice this in your notes, that fear that triumphs over faith often creates panic. But faith that triumphs over fear creates calm even in the midst of the storms. Now, please understand me here. Not all fear is bad. And not all fear is directly opposed to faith. There can actually be God-centered faith in the midst of fear. So faith is not the denial of the storms in your life. Just as faith is not the denial of the actual storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The problem here is, and this is the problem that Jesus is lasering in to the disciples' heart, is that when fear, it often forgets the power and goodness of God. And when that happens, it extinguishes our faith. So yes, fear recognizes the storm at hand. It acknowledges the storm at hand. It acknowledges what you are going through, but it is tempered by our supreme confidence in God. As one pastor writes, the problem of fear comes when it grows to the point of blocking our minds from the revelation of God, so that we are now consumed by the object of fear and not consoled by the promises of God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the power that made the storm was the very power to which they had to trust. That's hard. That's difficult. There's nothing easy about that one. The power that made the storm was the very power to which they had to trust. In other words, if we really trust God, then faith counters and calms our fears in the midst of the storms. So in that moment when fear seeks to grip us and when anxiety wants to rule the day in your life, here's what replaces fear with calm. Remember that Jesus is God. And He alone has authority to rule over the storms in your life. This is what Matthew has been trying to show us all the way from the beginning. 
that Jesus is God. And once Jesus announced His kingdom is at hand, everyone sought to challenge it. Everyone sought to ridicule it and, dis, and, and kind of wipe it away. But Jesus makes it clear through His teaching. He makes it clear through His miraculous healings that He has absolute authority to rule. In fact, in the storm, faith remembers that Jesus rules over darkness, number one here, if you want to fill in your blanks. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus meets the devil in the wilderness. And He makes it unmistakably clear who is in charge when He resisted temptation and was victorious over the devil. Next week we will see, in Matthew 8 here, that Jesus even rules over demons as well. In the storm, faith remembers, number two, that Jesus rules over disease. We've already seen at the beginning of Matthew 8, Jesus' power over disease when He healed the leper by His touch. And then He healed the centurion's servant simply by the word of His mouth. In the storm, faith remembers Jesus rules over even disciples. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls four fishermen to follow Him, and they immediately left their boats to follow Him. Last Sunday, we saw how Jesus challenged two more disciples to count the cost of following Him. And so Jesus has the authority to demand full devotion. And then in the storm, faith remembers that Jesus even rules over death. In Matthew 9, which we will look at in a few weeks here, the daughter of a ruler dies. And get this, the family is already preparing for the funeral when Jesus brings her back to life as a foretaste of His resurrection power to come. And now we see here in this story that Jesus rules over disaster. This is what we see in this story when Jesus speaks now. And immediately there's a great calm. Just imagine what that moment must have been like. As the winds are howling and the waves are crashing, and as the boat is tossing back and forth, Jesus stands and He rebukes the wind and the sea, and instantly it's over. Everything is calm. Verse 27 captures the moment so well. Look at it. It says, and the men marveled. Can you imagine being there? We would all marvel as well. And then they said, who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey Him. The disciples marvel because they realize that the man in the boat is no ordinary man. This is one who has authority over storms. He commands and the sea obeys. For the first time, they are beginning to realize that the man in the boat with them is God in the flesh. And that's why Jesus performs this miracle, to show them that He is God and to give them a glimpse of His greatness, of His power, of His authority to rule over all things. And so what we learn in this story is that the authority that belongs to God the Father is the same authority that now belongs to God the Son. And that has everything to do with the promise in this story. Look at it with me. The promise is phenomenal. The promise here is that you will never be alone. You will never be alone. God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ will be with you every step of the way in the middle 
of the storm. Is that not the promise Jesus makes to us? In the very same book, you go to the end of the story of this book. Matthew 28, verse 20. And what does Jesus, in his own words, promise us? He says, and behold, I am with you sometimes. I'm with you during easy times. No, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is this not the same promise that God also makes to us? God tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. This is the promise that we so easily forget in the midst of the storm. It's the promise the disciples forgot. And yet, let me clarify what this promise doesn't mean. Notice this in your notes. The promise we often forget, Jesus does not promise here to calm every storm in your life. But that in the midst of the storms, you will never be alone. Listen to me here. Does Jesus have power over every storm? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus has power over every storm that comes into your life, but He does not promise to calm every storm that comes into your life, nor does He promise that all the storms in your life will end soon. I cannot guarantee you that. I wish I could. The Bible does not guarantee this. I wish it did. I wish I could take you to Scripture here in God's Word and show you a verse that says Jesus will calm every storm and every storm in your life will end soon. I cannot promise you today that the struggle in your marriage will end this week. I cannot promise you today that your cancer will go away or that your financial crisis will be over next month. I cannot promise you that this or that facet of your life that is now extremely difficult in your life will be better off at this same time next year. The reality is, the storm you find yourself in right now at this moment may last for a very short amount of time or it may last for a very prolonged amount of time. I do not know if or when Jesus will calm the storm in your life. But I do know this from God's Word. You will never be alone in the midst of the storms no matter how long it lasts. God will be with you. Faith is not confidence that difficult things won't come your way. Faith is not confidence that trials and suffering won't occur in your life. Faith is the confidence that no matter what wind, what waves come your way in this world, the God of the universe will be with you right there in the middle of the boat. And His power and His presence will always see you through, get this, to the other side. We didn't read the verse, but the greatest verse in the whole story is verse 28. 
Look what it says. The very first part of the verse. It says, and when he had, what? Come to the other side. What does that tell you? What does that mean? Folks, it means Jesus and his disciples made it to the other side. It means they got through the storm. Listen to me. God will get you where he wants to take you. If you will submit your life to him. God will get you where he's wanting to take you. But oftentimes, how he takes us there involves what? Storms. And we don't know how long they will last. We don't know when they will end. But in the end, God will get you to the other side. That other side may be on this side of eternity, or that other side may be on that side of eternity. In the end, God will get you where He wants to take you in your journey with Him. Woo! Right? You are not alone. And ultimately, you are safe in the presence of the One who has ultimate authority over all storms. And so let's take this God-focused story here and apply it to our storm-filled lives with a very simple question. What do you fear right now? Right now, what do you fear? Perhaps some of you are afraid of the future. What's going to happen to me? Some of you are perhaps, you have fear for the welfare of your kids. Will they make it? Some of us fear for the welfare of our parents. How can I take care of them? Some of us are afraid about our finances. Will the economy get worse? What if I lose my job? Some of us are afraid of growing old. Will I too get cancer? Will I have a heart attack? Who will take care of me? Some of us are afraid of letting people down. Who, what will this person think of me? And we could go on and on about all the fears in this room. Listen to me. Whatever your fear may be, you fight that fear by never forgetting who it is who ultimately rules and then resting in the boat that Jesus takes you in. Never forget that Jesus is the one who's in the boat with you and He's the one who ultimately rules the day. I love what Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians 1 here, verses 15 and 17. Look what it says here. It says, The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John Calvin says it this way, those who know God's power safely rest in His protection, for He controls all the harmful things we fear. 
So let me encourage you. I plead with you. Don't resist the storms that God brings your way. Don't resent God for bringing the storms into your life. Instead, rest in His presence. Rest in His protection in the midst of the storms. Why? Because He is the one who ultimately rules over all things, including the very storms you are facing. Remember, it was Jesus' idea to get into the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And it was His plan for the disciples to encounter this storm in the first place. Don't miss that. Jesus was in complete control, even when it seemed like their little fishing boat was out of control. What does the remainder of 2013 hold for you? Listen, I don't know. But God does. And He is sovereign over it all. So when you find yourself in the storms, never, never, never forget Jesus is the one who rules over the storms and then rest in the boat He takes you in. You rest in His presence. You rest in His power. You rest in His protection. And finally, you rest in His promise that you will never be alone with your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, You know, I'm not naive, so naive to think that there are absolutely no fears among people here this morning. We have brought a lot of fears, real, tangible fears, into this worship service with us. And faith is not the denial of those things that are causing you fear. But faith is choosing to trust in the one who has authority over everything. Yeah, well, how should I respond to this? Let me just give you some ways that you can respond during this response time. I would encourage you to write down your fear in your sermon notes. You don't have to show it to anybody else, but you just write it down. And if you're not comfortable with that, then write it down in your heart, because your heart already knows it. And then in prayer, you place that fear under the authority of Jesus Christ. You just lay it at His feet. You lay it at the cross in prayer. You express what's going on inside of you to God. Your expression may be like the disciples. Lord, save us. We're dying. And you may feel the same way. Listen to me. Jesus responded to their little faith. And then ask God to help you to rest in His presence and protection and promise. Ask Him for the grace to simply rest in the boat that He's taking you in through that storm.